This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. A couple things this morning. If you have chosen your Play-Doh, that's wonderful. If you haven't gotten your Play-Doh yet, you could go uh, at some point into the back. Uh, you will need this, or I invite you to need it uh, for the service. This is yours to keep. Uh, people tell me that playing with Play-Doh is a stress reliever, releaser, Bleah. releaser. And so I encourage you to uh, take it today and ponder how you are made in the image of God. Also, just an update on Scott. He had a very successful partial knee replacement yesterday, and we're thrilled for that. Today is a really bad day for him. Kind of the bottom of the barrel. The good news is it should really go up as he gets out of bed and moves. So please keep him uh, in your prayers. This week, somebody prayed for him to loosen his grip, and that is my mantra uh, for him as well as for me. Those were really good words. So maybe you could uh, try to loosen your grip with Play-Doh. Finally, we have a special guest that's here on campus this, uh, yesterday and today. Abby Hendrickson, she is a representative from Young Adults in Global Missions from the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And she spoke a little bit to the students at Common Ground last night. And I just want to introduce her and so that you can hear a little bit about this great opportunity for young adults to uh, serve as global leaders who are strong, confident, and committed. Good morning, everyone. My name is Abby Henderson, and I am here today on behalf of the ELCA's Young Adults in Global Mission program. Young Adults in Global Mission, or YAGM, we use an acronym, we are Lutherans after all, um, is a program of the ELCA that offers a year-long service learning opportunity to adults aged 21 to 29 to go and live somewhere else in the world and be shaped and changed and transformed by that. Uh, if YAGAM sounds familiar to you, it could be that there's a lot of CLU alum who end up doing the program. In my cohort, we had both Nick Tasker and Aaron Hedrick, who served in the United Kingdom, have recently returned and now are figuring out what to do after their YAGAM year. And this current year, uh, both Christina Espergen, or Espy, and Lauren Amundsen are serving YAGAM years as well. So what a YAGAM does on the day-to-day -day completely depends on the culture, community, or country that they end up in. This upcoming year in 2015, we'll be sending young adults to one of to 12 different countries on five different continents. So there's a lot of variety in what you could do. Uh, you could teach English or work in a school or at a daycare. You could work on public health or in a nonprofit or with the elderly or with at-risk youth. You could work on a farm. You could teach dance. I kid you not, the list goes on and on. Uh, but the one thing that all current Yagama volunteers and all alumni of the program, such as myself, have in common is relationship. We respond to God's call and are sent into the world to build deep, meaningful, lasting relationships with people who might seem to be very different from ourselves. And it is these relationships that change us and hopefully will eventually change the way that we look at church. Uh, I myself just returned from a year of service in South Africa, so I can attest firsthand to the transformative power of these relationships. Simply by working with Monique and Taryn, writing poetry with my friends Elmo and Immobile, being a big sister to my host siblings Ruben and Jade, and teaching Sunday school to Gabby, Nailene, Zethan, and 30 other little munchkins, I was transformed and changed, and I will never look at the world, or God's work in the world, or my role in God's work in the world in the same way again. 
So I'm here today to speak with students. I was at Common Ground last night, which was an incredible worship service. Um, I'm really excited for this. And then I'll have a table on the spine throughout part of the day to just kind of speak with people who might be interested in Yagam, um, or if you're looking for a way to support the program or get involved in Global Mission yourself, or maybe support future Yagam volunteers, uh, feel free to come by and talk to me. It's why I'm here. Uh, I promise I won't bite. And thank you for having me here with you today. Friends, God is among us. Let us pray. O God, the heavens declare your glory and tell of your work in creation. From you come the gifts of our bodies and our minds, our skills and abilities, and the occasions to use these gifts in sustaining our lives and in sustaining our neighbors. We want to use our whole selves to shape the society in which we live that it may more fully reflect your promised future. Help us to trust your acceptance and your love for us just as we are in our human bodies, gifted, treasured, fearfully, and wonderfully made. Amen. Please be seated. As the lesson is read today, I invite you to open that Play-Doh, warm it in your hands. Don't worry about making a mess. You can always pick that stuff up after the chapel service. And as you listen to the words of the psalmist, consider how you are fearfully and wonderfully made in your marvelous and strong and fragile human body. Consider what it means to honor your body. Trust that you are loved by God. Now rest assured this is not an art contest. No grades or awards will be given. It's just you, your thoughts, your warm hands as you listen to the psalmist. Psalm 139, a meditation. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know where I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Psalm 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will shall overcome me, and the light around me become night, and even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know them well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Good morning. Um, before I get started, I have to share that I said yes immediately when I was asked to do this talk, and then I thought, what was I thinking? Um, it is a topic I'm completely comfortable with, and yet it is also a topic that is intensely personal for me. So um, forgive the nerves. I actually have never talked about this in front of so many people at once. Although I don't think there's a question I haven't asked, been asked and haven't answered and wouldn't be willing to answer if it were asked. That being said, um, I'm not an athlete. I can't do amazing things with my body. At times it's actually been somewhat of a difficult time doing the ordinary things. 
I'm also someone who obviously doesn't look like a supermodel. So standing here today, you may wonder, why am I the person here giving that talk, this talk about living with your body? Well, you know what? I happen to believe that the fact that I can stand here and you might be able to think that I do look ordinary and normal is the very reason why I am the, good, the right person to be talking today. Some of you may already be aware that I had hip replacement surgery almost a year ago, this November. What you may not know is the reason why I needed the surgery. I have, in fact, had a total of three surgeries so far on my hip. The first one when I was five, the second one when I was 14, and then the most recent one last year. And given my age, I'm likely to have one or two more in the course of my life. At 17 months old, my parents brought me to the doctor because I wasn't starting to learn to walk like I was supposed to, and one leg was significantly shorter than the other. The doctors then diagnosed me as being born without a left hip socket. Without getting into a lot of really boring and unnecessary detail, the hip socket is a ball and a, and a socket. So you, and they work together, they bear your weight, it does, allows you to do things like walk and run and stand. You don't actually realize how much you do with it or how much you can't do when you don't have it. They had caught my problem when I was born, which is what they normally do. There are things they could have done that most likely would have stimulated a socket to grow, and I would have been completely normal. Now that, for some reason, works better for boys than for girls, but they probably could have done something, and I would never have known that there was anything different by the time I was aware that there was something different when I was born. That didn't happen, and at 17 months, there were, the options available became a lot more limited. So until I was five, they decided to try and see if they can make one grow because surgery is always the last option. So I went through a continual rotation six months at a time, body casts, leg braces, and traction. My mother can tell you some very funny stories about being in the hospital at 17 months old and uh, what it's like to have to teach a child how to re-drink re through a straw because they don't use a bottle anymore, they don't remember how to suck, that automatic sucking thing isn't there anymore and to teach a, a child 17 months old how to drink through a straw is apparently, at the very least, funny once it's done. So she can also tell you a very funny story about when they came in and I was in a room with someone who was, uh, a, another girl who, was, uh, who spoke Spanish. And, I, and although my mother's family is Spanish, I did not learn to speak Spanish. And we apparently were having a really great time communicating each other like only someone that age can do. Language doesn't really matter at that age, you can just talk, and I was laughing a lot, and so was she, which was somewhat of a miracle because she was in there for cancer and something with her heart, and they hadn't really been able to get her to respond. She was so upset. So they were really happy. The only problem was I was in traction, and every time I laughed, my feet went further up in the air, and by the time they came in, I was practically dangling from my feet in the air, but they didn't want to come in and, and stop it because we were having such a great time, and so they stood at the door with the nurses and, and laughed at how funny it was to see me and how happy they were for the other person because she was having such a good moment in a time when she really wasn't. Well, all of that didn't really work. So when I was five, they grafted a bone and created a hip socket. And it was a somewhat experimental surgery. What they could do then doesn't match what they can do now. But although at five, there's only so much you can do. 
uh, that didn't grow, so when I was 14, I had outgrown that hip, and they had to do another surgery that was still somewhat experimental, and they created a, a larger hip socket. And if anyone wants to know the gory details, I can tell you that separately. Um, but they created a new head socket. I spent eight weeks in a body cast and then went, got out of the body cast and proceeded to relearn to walk and all of that stuff again. And then by, last, by a few years ago, that hip socket had basically worn out for a lot of different reasons. Every step you take wears down your joints. And when you didn't really have a joint to begin with, I knew at 14 that by the age of 35, I was probably going to need surgery. And if I was lucky, I would make it past a few years past that. Well, I actually made it to last year, significantly past the age of 35. Uh, so that's a pretty good thing. I was pretty happy, although the first time I went into the doctors was at 35. And it was a pretty close thing, although they said they don't do hip replacements at 35. They don't last more than a certain amount of years. And then the younger you have them, the more often you have them. And so. I, for most of my life, consequently, I've always had to choose before, between what I wanted to do, what I was able to do, and how much pain I was willing to experience in order to do it. It was sort of the price of admission. And there was never a time in my life when what was normal for me matched what, was, what I perceived to be normal for everyone else. You know, as a child, what you perceive others is, is somewhat different and, than what is reality. But, when you know you're always different, that does kind of strange things to a person, as a child and as an adult. I have at times in my life to find how good I was physically by comparing myself to others. And as a child especially, being different or not normal, I'm really bad with labels, I'm sorry, but being different is always, has also given me a not always healthy drive to do more. If I was different, then I was damn well gonna be different more, not different less. I, and so on some levels, that's a good thing. I'm very in tune with my body. I know what I can do, and I know what my body is telling me at any moment in time when I am doing it. I know how to ex never accept less than what I know I can do, and I know how to push past it and significantly past it, sometimes stupidly past it. It can also be hard to live with yourself, though, if you're always defining your physical worth by some kind of external measure. In my experience, there is always a price to be paid. And eventually, comparing yourself to something external, you always end up short. Well, growing up, I played the violin and French horn. I picked up the violin first, I was rather serious, and then I picked up the French horn because I was bored. And in high school, I participated in orchestra and concert band and marching band and loved every minute of it. Well, marching in a parade is by definition walking. And walking any distance for me has always had a price to be paid in increasing levels of pain. However, everyone normal did concert band and marching band, and so I never really thought of not doing both. And that was okay. I never really thought of the personal price. They were doing it, so I could do it. There was nothing wrong with me, so I could do it. My freshman year in high school, and, and I know sometimes up here, high school was three years and not four, but what it, start, high school started in ninth grade for me. And my freshman year in high school, two things happened. I had my second hip operation in April of that year, and the preceding January, the marching band won the opportunity to participate in the Rose Parade, which is a wonderful mixed blessing. 
When you add, they tell you on the, when you watch the Rose Parade, they tell you it's about three miles long. That's a lie. If you go from the beginning, not including the stage areas, to the end, it's five miles long if you're walking it. If you're doing the uh, float, it's a slightly different route from the beginning, but it's really about five miles long. And if you include walking from the staging area, which is a freeway, and up to where you actually get started and then where they actually put the buses for the bands afterwards, you have to add another mile or two after that. So it's really six or seven miles if you're walking it from end to end. And I never really gave marching in the parade any thought. You know, I, I was a member of the band, the band was going, and if everyone else was doing it, so was I. Uh, the consequences really never mattered. I personally never thought of them. My only thought was I was just like everyone else. I was normal and everyone else was going, and so why shouldn't I be able to do it also? My parents had a different thought. They were thinking like adults, like someone should, and um, also knew I was somewhat headstrong. And so, well, okay, more than somewhat headstrong. I've always been very headstrong. I also don't follow, it's funny to say as a registrar, I'm not really good at following rules. I, I, I have to admit, so any of you who are students, you're sitting in my office, I tell you that's a policy, you know that I was never really good at it, and I'm actually still not, um, to be perfectly candid. My parents, however, insisted that I at least talk to my orthopedist and ask permission. My father actually had a conversation with my mother and said that she should have a conversation with her daughter and that I should have a conversation with the doctor. So I agreed that I would at least talk to the doctor. They scheduled the appointment, and as, like I agreed, I went in. I then proceeded to go in, sit down, and tell him that I was participating in the Rose Parade, and I hope he was okay with it, because I was gonna do it anyway. <laughs> he looked at me, turned and told my parents, and bless him, he said, it was gonna be painful, but I, was, I wasn't gonna do serious or permanent damage to my hip, and so we should just, they should step out of the way and let me do it. I was a kid. Everyone else wanted to do it, and I should just do it. So I did. I made it to a little short of where Colorado Boulevard turns. And I don't know how many of you have been to the Rose Parade, but it is very long, and Colorado Boulevard, if you're walking it, it, it is so long you actually can't see the end. The, you actually see the horizon come together. It is an amazing experience. Uh, and at the very end, just when you think it's never gonna end, Colorado Boulevard turns, and you're almost at the end of the parade. Well, I made it almost to the turn. If I had known how close I was to the turn, I probably would have tricked myself into going farther. Uh, but as it was, I didn't. And I was not the first person to fall out of the, of the band. I was not the second, I was the third. And I could live with that. I made it as far as I could and I did everything I could and I didn't really have a choice about when I fell out. I, I learned from that experience uh, that pain can be so strong you can stop feeling it. It can, I'm also really not gonna talk about what happens when you start feeling it again because there is a rebound and eventually if you keep going, which I did, you start feeling again and, and that's a special experience. So while I do not regret my decision to march, I have to say, and my mother would agree with you if she were here, it is, would agree with me. That is also one of the most supremely stupid things I have ever done in my life. I, I don't regret it, but it was supremely stupid. One minute I was walking 
down the parade route, marching, trying to concentrate enough to actually still play and walk, and concentrating on the back of the head of the person in front of me, who had this little annoying drip of sweat that was coming up from underneath the back of her, her hat. You know, and she had her hair up, which normally you would never see it, but you couldn't, it kept dripping, and, and I, I counted it. Every step, three drops would come down. And, and so I took to counting, and it helped me concentrate past on what it was. So um, she never knew how she helped me with her little annoying drop of sweat, but it, it helped me get there. And so one minute I was walking down the parade route, and the next minute I was on the side of the road talking to the band director, who had a very appalled, scared look on his face, saying I was done. And then after that, I was laying on the side of the road, being helped by an extremely nice family whose name I never got and who I never really was able to fully thank. Although I, I still hope today they know what a difference they made in my life. They said that that's okay. They sat there every year and they always come prepared. They had extra water just in case someone who's walking down the parade route doesn't make it. And, and they took care of me until someone from first aid came back with a gurney, and I, this is still a little blurry, but I, they got me into a vehicle and I eventually got to the end of the parade route. I just narrowly missed heat stroke. Once they got me rehydrated and I was, I was fine. And it was quite an experience. I have since learned that normal is really relative. What is normal for me and my body is different than what is normal for others, and that's okay. Before my last surgery, I wouldn't have been able to walk from my office to get to the chapel to here because it was too far. Couldn't do it, I would have had to drive, and, and I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have just stood up from where I was standing and walked over here because I couldn't stand up without my hip getting locked halfway up, and, and sometimes it would just, freeze and keep going, or sometimes I had to sit down and go back up and hope it wasn't too embarrassing a moment to, for me to get stuck. And I couldn't have walked over without a cane because I was worried about my leg collapsing underneath me when I was walking and it was too painful to walk without it. And I certainly couldn't have stood here the amount of time that I am standing here without some kind of an aid. Well, I've had my surgery and I can, I walked from chapel to here and it's a beautiful day. I was able to stand up without any problems, and I was able to stand up here. I didn't trip on the step that I didn't realize was here. And, and I'm able to stand here today without any problems and without any pain. And I have to say, you don't really appreciate the absence of pain until it's been so long that you don't remember what it's like to not feel it anymore. That grinding pain that never really goes away, that you kind of stop noticing it, but even when you're sleeping, you still dream about it because nothing really helps, and it's always there. I still say thank you every day for the fact that I can, I can stand up and I, and I can lie down. I can even sit without pain, and, and that was the last thing to go. I, so I, I am still thankful every day. Everything I have experienced before and how I am now is okay. I believe that I am as God made me, the good and the bad. I don't ever actually even think about it as good or bad. Like I said, I'm bad with labels. It just is. And everything that is and everything that I've gone through has made me who I am today. And I happen to like the person I am today. And that makes everything worth it and okay. Well, everyone has things they want to be able to do in their life. Physically, sometimes you want to do things. You have a bucket list. 
ever since that famous movie that actually now has a title. I didn't realize it had a title. I thought it was just a to-do list. Well, on my bucket list, I've always wanted to run a marathon. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, there are lots of people who can't run a marathon. And, and I know that's true in my head. I also have always known that prior to hip replacement surgery, there's no chance that I could ever even thought of running a marathon. And I was okay with that. But I always held the hope in the back of my head and that part of you that wishes for things that may not be realistic, but you still want them anyway. I'd always hoped that after, with work, after hip replacement surgery, and I know this sounds strange, I could reward myself with the effort of training and doing it. Well, turns out, I think my doctor knows me better than I do. I was specifically told by the doctor after my surgery I wasn't allowed to go out and do anything crazy now that I feel better. He then proceeded to give me a long list, and I say it's a long list of things I'm not allowed to do that are crazy, and at the top of the list, it turns out, is running a marathon. Who knew? I, I mean, is it like this popular thing, everyone who gets a hip replacement surgery says, I'm gonna go run a marathon. I, I mean, I'm, an, I'm really not an athlete, so why are you, anyway specifically on the list of things I can't do. So I've crossed running a marathon off my list. I can accept that, I, it's, it's not realistic and I'm not wearing this hip out until I absolutely have to. So I can live with it and I can accept adjusting what I want and that's okay. I'll just plan to walk a 5K instead. Please stand. Let us pray. How fearfully and wonderfully made we are, O oh God. Your compassions never fail, and your mercies are new every morning. Continue to work in each of our lives so that we can be strong in body, mind, and spirit. We need your guidance in all that we do. Let your wisdom counsel us. Your hands lead us and your arms supporting us. Conform us to your image so that we can be a part of your restoration of the whole world. We pray this in your strong name. Amen. Go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak make common cause with the poor and the oppressed. Help the afflicted, honor all people, love your life and love the one who bestowed it upon you. And the blessing of God be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us sing our hymn, Take My Life That I May Be. May God's peace be with you.